Today on The Start, we tracked down the author of an article from the Globe and Mail that we shared with you last week, What Everyone Gets Wrong About Winnipeg Except Winnipeggers. And she joined us to tell us about what she describes as a wonderful and transformative experience visiting our city for the first time. We normally think of the canine unit as being a police thing, but the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service might soon have a canine at their disposal to help find possible arson causes. We speak with a Manitoban play-by-play voice with the PWHL, and inspired by Greg's mischievous cat and a rather curious dog with a weird appetite in Pennsylvania, we asked you about animal mischief. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Friday, January 5th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Also, just a traffic note here from Reese that just came in on our text line at 204-780-6868. This is on Pemina, uh, just north of Dalhousie Drive uh, by the PV Mart. And uh, Reese says the lights are out north and southbound Pemina in front of that PV Mart parking lot. So, good morning. It's Friday. And um, thank goodness it's Friday. We talked yesterday about the holiday hangover. The holiday blues was actually a question of the day at CJOB.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. Post-holiday blues are common this time of year. Are you feeling that way? 7% said no, but others seem crabbier than usual. 30% said yes, I'm a little blech. And 63% said no, I'm same as usual. But um, I... I'm. I think it might be safe to say that all three of us are happy the weekend is upon us because I had the worst sleep. Greg, you try. You were resolved to not be watching Winnipeg Jets hockey that started at nine thirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that didn't work out. You, buddy? Yeah. Didn't really work out. Saw the uh, entire second half of the first period. Slept through the second period, listened to the first half of the third period, and then got up and watched the, <laughs> the end of the Oh, end that's of the even game. worse. So. It's like you had that whole up and down. Oh, like yeah. The, the attempt Absolutely to sleep brutal. is almost worse than the sleep, like, than just staying up, if you know what I mean. The uh, try mm-hmm. makes you feel worse. Yeah, and, the, you know, the, the latest revelations on sleep say it's not the amount of time of sleep, uh, sleep that you get. It's uh, staying asleep for extended periods of time. So this up and down, I know, is is absolutely brutal for me. And uh, to top it all off, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later in having coffee talking, but I, I got up, turned on the light. I was looking for something in the kitchen, and there's cereal all over <laughs> the kitchen floor. I kind of scratched my head for a moment, and then I realized that it was uh, good old Callie had knocked over a box of cereal that the boys could not be bothered to put away. <laughs> So then I flip over, you know, we've got one of those uh, dust pans that are connected to our central vacuum cleaner. So I flip that open, go to get the broom. The broom is not where it's supposed to be. So now the central vac is wailing at four o'clock in the morning. Jackie comes downstairs. What's going on? Sounds like the house is about to explode. It's okay. It's just the central vac. I'm trying to find the broom. Oh, it's in the basement. 
great place for it. Go down, come upstairs. And in the last half an hour now, I have a text message from Jackie. Well, thanks a lot. I'm now sitting at the kitchen table. I'm working because she couldn't get back to sleep after all the <laughs> ruckus in the house this morning, courtesy of Callie Cat. But if you had left the mess, that would also have been frustrating, right? To like walk past the mess. Yeah, I was tempted. I'll tell you. Yeah, that's a tough one at that time of day. Like, yeah, I would, I would be. I, I, you, that's a no-win situation. I'm equally annoyed with you cleaning up as oh, I am with you. Great. Not I was up. just about to ask how many points do I get or do I lose on this? <laughs> no, one? I don't know. I think I think I'd be downstairs ticked at you for the central vac. <laughs> but if I woke up two hours later and saw that mess, you'd be getting a phone call. Did you really just walk past this giant mess and leave it for me? So, <laughs> so this is the ultimate no-win situation, is no what you're situation. telling me. Okay, no win. they this do rem- exist. This reminds me of a time where I was a few minutes late. For a television class, when I was in creative communications at Red River, this was probably in 2003, maybe early. Yeah, it would have been 2003. I was uh, racing to get out of the house so I could get to school. And as I put on my, hastily put on my parka, the sleeve sort of shot out and like shattered one of the, the light covers in our kitchen. And like, I mean, shattered. I don't know what kind of glass this or it was made of, but it, it exploded all over the kitchen in tiny little pieces. And I couldn't not clean that up because we have a dog. Like I would have had to cut her off from the kitchen otherwise. And then like to call my parents and say, you're coming home to a, a nice surprise. So I had to clean this thing up. So I was late for school and I tried mm-hmm. to call my instructor, Dean, I called him and left him a message. I said, I'm I'm on my way, but this catastrophe happened, a calamity. And but that was a no-win situation. And he, when I got to the class, door was locked. I had to knock on the door embarrassingly. And he says, If you can't show up on time, don't show up at all. And he closed the door in my face. <laughs> so no you win. Miss, so you missed that class. Yep. Yep. All right. Lori Schreier, uh, school of uh, teaching there had that happen in grade twelve history. Yeah. 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 Oh, and then he came and found me in the cafeteria. Weren't you in class? I said, you slammed the door on me. Yeah. (laughs) He said, well, you you should have gone and got a late slip. I go, yeah, that would have been my third late, which is an automatic absence. So I might as well be absent. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if they still do those things with like late slips and all that. Do they? Like, Do your boys get those? I have no comment. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. If they have to get a late slip or not, probably not. You know, I don't want to be the old guy that says this generation doesn't understand no, no, no. what I we think went that's through back because, in our day. Well, no, because it's, you're you're just deterring people from going to school, right? In Potentially, yes. So now you're. I, I think there's room for improvement on the system of your days of your. So we are going to have the sounds of the game for you, by the way, in our next segment, and then. On the subject of, we were just talking about cats and funny animal things, but Loren, at 635, what are we going to learn about the canine unit? Well, we know that the Winnipeg police have a canine unit. Now, the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service is putting an ask into City Hall for a unit of its own and at least one dog. And they want this dog to be a dog that's trained in detecting accelerants, right? Like things that might be used to start a fire, things that might be used in an arson. And according to the report that we're going to learn more about at 637, they're seeing like, you know, an escalating number of suspicious fires 
suspicious, which would mean arson. We know Winnipeg, you know, as the city has more fires uh, per capita than places like Calgary. So what's going on and how could this dog, how could the pooch help? We'll speak to Deputy Chief Scott Wilkinson just after the news at 630. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb want to get right into this here because next week, A city hall committee will be asked to consider a program that would add a canine, a dog, to the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service. So this dog would be a specialized dog. It would be accredited in detecting accelerants. And the WFPS says that's needed because, quote, in the report, Winnipeg faces an ongoing and escalating number of suspicious fires where definitive cause determination leading to prosecution is challenging. So they're having trouble getting this to prosecution. But they say in that report that the specialized dog could help with that. So we're joined now by WFPS Deputy Chief Scott Wilkinson. Good morning. Good morning. I want to start with the fires first because that stood out with me. I know we've talked in the past about Winnipeg per capita sees uh, perhaps more fires than a lot of other major cities. But what's going on with the arsons or, or suspicious fires? What can you tell us? Well, Lorraine, the, the challenge is that we do have a large number of uh, structure fires and high fire losses compared to other centres. Um, the challenge is in a lot of these, especially those that are occurring in the vacant buildings, the level of damage makes it extremely difficult for our investigators to pinpoint a definitive cause leading to prosecution. Um, so in this case, we're hoping to speed up that process and improve it with the assistance of the canine. Uh, Scott, the people probably tired of hearing about Winnipeg leading the nation and, and things that aren't necessarily good. Can you give us an indication or a reason as to why we are leading the country the way we are in comparison to, say, a, a place like Calgary? Well, it's it's difficult to say, and we know it's a, a variety of socioeconomic factors, some of those being, you know, we have some uh, vulnerable populations, some uh, aging infrastructure um, and some other challenges within our community like that that make it uh, com- combined up with uh, with the situation and the finances and the uh, and the inflation issues that makes it challenging uh, for us and the number of fires that we're experiencing. So how can this dog help? Well, the dog is trained by the uh, the ATF in the United States as an accelerant detector, and the dog can smell accelerants, those used to light fires typically, um, by uh, much faster and much quicker and much more accurately than the equipment or the personnel we have. So it, it reduces scene time for our investigators, it speeds up their investigations, and helps us exact much closer pinpoint the location and cause of the fire. So when you talk about that dog going in and it being able to detect or smell the accelerant, where has it been successful in other jurisdictions in terms of how that's helped lead to prosecutions or, or catching people responsible? Because it's one thing to detect that there was arson. It's another to figure out who did it. Yeah, the, the who did it part becomes a little bit more the elongated investigation with our, our colleagues at the police service. But the canine process has been used by the ATF and other jurisdictions with fire investigations across North America for decades. It's a well-proven tool uh, that is actually serves as a deterrent when people realize we have that investigatory capability. And it also aids us in more you know quickly determining the specific cause, and that helps lead to investigation. It can also detect accelerants on persons uh, who are in the proximity of the fire in the event that they were related to or associated with causing that fire. So the hope is that if word gets out, those that are perpetrating these crimes are going to second, uh, second guess those actions? 
Well, we would like to think that there would be some improvement. I, I don't want to persist that uh, every single person will just know that we have a dog and, and not light fires. But we do we do hope and we have seen that the use of the dog in other jurisdictions has uh, deterred fire to, uh, starting to some degree and lessen those uh, quite a bit in some jurisdictions. And at the very least, will help us lead to greater prosecutions, which also can be part of that deterrence. And where, this might sound like a silly question, but would the dog be partnered with like a particular person? Like a, who, would, who would take care of the dog? Well, the dog actually is assigned the, to a specific handler, much like uh, the canines in the police service. And uh, he'll be taking the training with the dog in the spring of this year. Uh, then the dog actually will come to work and live with the handler, uh, continuing to do training and live with the handler and his family. Um, and that's uh, the typical process for the canines in uh, the emergency services. What kind of dog? I actually don't know yet, Lorraine. We'll have to wait and see. It's the, uh, the there is a variety of dog breeds. Uh, some specific ones that the ATF uses. So we'll we'll see when we get. So when you talk about bringing this dog in, what kind of cost initially, and then of course you keep the dog around for several years to come. So what are we looking at for budget? Well, we, what we've looked at is the advantage right off the bat that uh, we have that relationship that our investigations team has developed with the ATF. So this is fairly expensive training that if you had to go out for it. And they've, uh, they've offered this because they've seen the issues and how this might help us in our jurisdiction. Um, so they're providing that training all initially uh, complimentary for us. After that, uh, we will be, you know, this typical cost will be vet bills, um, you know, equipment, uh, the you know, vehicle usage, and uh, food for the for the canine. So we're we we don't know exactly yet. We're looking at between fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a year, and uh, hoping that covers it. That's coming out of our existing operational budget. Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service Deputy Chief Scott Wilkinson. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time. No problem. Have a great day. This is a fascinating thing yes. that to to I, I, it makes total sense mm-hmm. but to just the idea that a dog could come in and help solve or help to solve arson investigations it's cool it's cool but it's also concerning when you consider just some of the numbers that they've shared and that the deputy chief shared there the fact that we just see more of these types of fires and i know we've been talking for what a year and a half now on cjob about derelict buildings and the damage they cause but they've conducted 500 investigations last year uh, which there was 12 fire fatalities. And that was just to the end, I believe, of November. So we know there was several more before the holiday season. So we're seeing like a growing number of arsons, a growing number potentially of fatalities that might be related in and around the arsons. I'm not connecting arson to fatality. I'm just saying we're seeing all these numbers tick up, Greg. And so I, I, all the tools, the more tools, the better. But the why behind what's going on is, is still needs to be part of that puzzle. I get that there are people who might mm-hmm. be lighting things intentionally. And then there's going to be people who might be just going into buildings to stay warm. There could be other bad activity occurring in those buildings. But just as you pointed out, you know, leading the category in something like this is nothing to be proud of. The dog itself, though, is cool. The dog is cool. And, you know, we've had the the stories over the years of what dogs can do in order to help keep us safe. I think it was in Finland where they'd trained the dog to to actually sense people with COVID-19 yes, once yes. upon a time, you know, in the last few years here. And uh, and getting back to the idea of, of getting to the bottom of these arsons in Winnipeg, when loss of life is involved, it's, it's obviously potentially a very, very serious crime. Uh, it's one thing to, to figure out whether or not somebody's, you know, perpetrating an insurance fraud or something like that by starting a fire in a vacant vil- building. It's another thing altogether, Brett, to... Uh, 
find out if if somebody's committed a, a criminal activity that has resulted in in people's deaths. That's that's obviously uh, horrific. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, we want to discuss animal mischief. To recap, Gregor, for those who are just tuning in or missed it this morning, what did you wake up to this morning? Yeah, cereal all over my kitchen floor, uh, like a half a box full. And my kids are irresponsible, but they're not that irresponsible. Like, they know how to find the cereal. It's sort of like the Seinfeld. You know how to take the (laughs) reservation. You don't know how to hold the reservation. They know where to find the cereal. They don't know where to put the cereal. They like to leave it on the island and Callie Cat, as I call her, got into some mischief, dumped over the box. And so at... Uh, allegedly. You know, oh, yeah. Sorry. Allegedly. <laughs> we don't want to... Thank you. Thank you, Cam. I don't want to uh, convict uh, the cat uh, without a fair trial. Uh, the, <laughs> I had to go, you know, find the broom and sweep it up and turned on the central. Uh, it was just a disaster. And then coincidentally, uh, we notice on our chart, on our headline chart at globalnews.ca, there's a headline that reads, couple recovers the $4,000 their dog ate in the most disgusting way. We won't get into the details of the story, but uh, this was a dog in Pennsylvania, I believe, and they, they, the people had taken 4000 cash out that they were going to use to pay for some renovations or something. And uh, the dog, who wasn't known for eat, taking stuff off the counter and eating it, decided that 4000 cash was the, the, me, the tasty meal it was time to go for. So you can read more on that at globalnews.ca. It's a pretty funny story, uh, but it's also kind of gross. So animal tomfoolery, animal mischief, Let's revisit this discussion. Could be your pet. Could be a friend's pet. Could be an animal you just happen to see while you're out and about. Like just two days ago, I was out for a walk. And I was walking on Coburn, heading back towards Wellington Crescent to make my way home to Osborne Village. And as I'm crossing the street, I look to my right and I see this woman running after this little tiny dog, which I guess maybe it looked kind of like a, what is it, a chug? Like a Chihuahua pug? Is that what? <laughs> um, anyway, so this thing is bolting down the, the sidewalk. So I had to act as a blockade. I jumped in on, into the sidewalk and put my hands out and just tried to be like, hello, it's okay, buddy. And then the owner caught up. And the dog actually, it, it didn't, it looked like he couldn't decide who to go to. <laughs> Almost like he wanted to come to me. Um, but eventually the owner was able to scoop up the little, the little pup. This sounds like a rom-com. <laughs> yeah, you know what? If I was a, a smart man, I might have tried to go further down that. But I was just happy to reunite the two of them before the dog could make its great escape. So 204-780-6868, tell us your story for a chance to win tickets for the Winnipeg Renovation Show. And, uh, well, Loren, I mean, we love your stories of moose, but you might not, ne- you might not necessarily have a moose-related story today. Well, I'm only going to just, I'll be brief here because I've been working from home this week as, as flu-like symptoms circle the drain in our house. And so I'm standing in the basement right now looking out of, you know, we've all, I've got two active boys. We have all sorts of games and uh, not a single ball has survived moose, not a single one from <laughs> soccer ball to basketball to pucks. We have a ping pong table <laughs> and we had six ping pong paddles. We now have two. They have been consumed, like not just ripped apart. They have been eaten. They're, the handles of the, like, not the plastic part, but the handles are gone. 
on th- three of them. There's a crinocle or crokinole. What do you call that? Crokinole. Yeah. Okay. Like it's missing chips. No. Like, yeah. Like I just. It's 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 it boggles the mind, and no matter how many times you say to people, "Do not leave that on the counter or where he can get it," he takes it. So I I'm uh, I think we need like a safe, like you know how people have like gun safes in rural areas. I need like a moose safe. <laughs> what so about uh, where- you mentioned Boggle? What about the letters from the Boggle game? Are those all? In place, or is Moose eating those Boggle as well? hasn't been. It's just, it's really wood related. He's got a wood fetish. Yeah, I, th- I thought those. The, wood those, and foam. I thought those Google, the, those uh, Boggle dyes were uh, were also made of wood. But- It'd be great if he ate the Boggle things and then like they came out naturally, like the money in that money story. And he's trying to spell something. Trying to spell something. Tell me. Look over here. Oh. Uh, Cameron Poitras. Uh, well, my you know my mother in law's cats and my wife's cats. There's an ongoing drama amongst them. There's Nud, who's the leader of the troop, but he's aging. Well, he's middle aged right now, and Lila is is attempting to usurp him as the next <laughs> leader of the of the cat troop. And the others could care less. So she's the only one that really cares about that. Uh, but I got to talk about Mister Reg, my rabbit, uh, who is in the process. Well, he's totally destroyed his suka, uh, which is his little um, like straw a hut that we purchased him. He's completely destroyed it, eaten it up, uh, demolished it, and now he's undergoing a, a very serious depression, knowing that he's destroyed it. And we're just trying to, you know, prop him up and, and make him feel better. But he's really upset about it. Like he's well, he's lying in places he's never lied in. He's looking, he's staring at the suka with like these sad eyes. Um, and so we're a little worried about him. We think we need to get him a new one because Mr. Reg is very upset. But listen, Mr. Reg, this is just what happens when you do this to the things that you love. Allegedly. <laughs> well, no, we saw him do that. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we witnessed him destroy it. Uh, but he's, he's actually pretty broken up about it. Well, that's too bad. It is too bad. Well, Mr. Mr. Reg. Mr. Reg learned a valuable lesson, hopefully. No, he didn't. All right. He'll make the same mistake again. He's a rabbit. <laughs> Sarah McCarthy. Yes, yeah, so this happened at my aunt's house, and she has a cat, a little black and white cat named Liz, or she calls her Queen Liz. And I was staying with uh, my aunt for Thanksgiving when I was at uh, college one year, and she told me, the, like, we know the cat is mischievous, jumps on the island, jumps on counters, jumps from the couch to the counter, except and she tells me when I get there, okay, she is forbidden from going in this room. So we always just keep it closed. It's not locked. It's just shut. But, um, and there's like, it's just like an office, but there's also like a futon that turns into a bed and just other random stuff, but stuff she doesn't want the cat getting into, obviously. But one day we come back from just errands or whatnot and no idea how, but the cat has got in to this room and did her business. All over this cot. Revenge. So, revenge. Just because she couldn't go in. (laughs) She's making a point. Yeah, so. All kinds of the business? All kinds. So we know it was her. She lacks, the cat lacks opposable thumbs. So we don't. So you must have left the door open. I must have not latched it right. No, no strength. (laughs) Didn't catch the door. It was sitting there waiting for its opportunity. Yeah. You're not going to let was. me in there. I'll show you. Cats are vengeful beasts. Yeah, don't oh, yeah. make them mad. And uh, Forte. Mine's actually kind of similar to uh, Sarah's where uh, it was, I was back in junior high. It's at my buddy's place after school one day. We're hanging out and uh, I, I go to leave and I go home and I'm walking home and I have my backpack on and uh, I'm feeling the straps. I'm like, what? like, what is going on with this? Like, it's just, it's moist. And I'm like snipping my hands. Oh. I got my hands in my face. 
And I'm like touching my nose. I'm like, what is this? It smells so weird. Well, it turned out it was cat pee. I've never <laughs> smelled cat pee before. And uh, yeah, let's just say I went home and I was like, my God, and I got pee on my face. <laughs> so like I got to wash my face and wash my hands. Like it was just, it was so gross. It was so dirty. So 204-780-6868 for a chance to win tickets for the Winnipeg Renovation Show. We want you to give us an example of animal mischief. Could be your pet, could be someone else's pet, could be an animal that you just see while you're out and about, maybe even a wild animal like a pack of wild turkeys, or maybe you work with animals, like if you work at the zoo, for example, or maybe you're a vet, I'm sure you've seen all sorts of weird stuff and had to deal with all kinds of weird stuff from the animals. McGarry and McNabb, we shall announce our first winner for Ramuary in a couple of minutes' time for Ram Motorsports Spectacular coming to Canada Life Centre next month. But a reminder that we also have tickets to give away for Winnipeg Renovation Show next weekend at RBC Convention Centre. And we're asking you just to give us an example of animal mischief, whether it's your animal, an animal you work with, and just an animal you happen to encounter while you're out and about. What does Sandy have to say, Greg? I have two three-year-old sibling kitties. You're brave, Sandy. Uh, if I'm not awake and feeding them breakfast, the boy Bennett starts kicking stuff off my nightstand, standing on my neck, nipping my arms or nose or chin. And if that doesn't work, he starts kicking the medals I have hanging on my wall. Some mornings, he's lucky. He's alive. His sister, however, if she gets involved, she gives me tiny kisses and purrs. I much prefer her as my alarm clock. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. <laughs> that would drive me nuts. <laughs> it, it, it is frustrating when because I this reminds me when I had cats. I had two cats. Zoe never was the, the type to try to wake you up for breakfast. But Frankie, like clockwork, because at the time... I worked a, a shift where I, I could sleep until around 9, 9.30, and I'd always try to push it. But if I wasn't up at 9 every day, Frankie, he would jump up on the nightstand beside me, and he would just meow, 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 like a cuckoo clock, and he wouldn't stop until I got up. Why not just leave the door closed? Like, Or he would just scratch at the door? Oh, he, I, I tried tried so hard to keep him out of the bedroom. Because of my allergies, right. but he sat outside. The, the the first time I tried it, he sat outside the bedroom door for two hours, meowing. Oh God! Two hours. You're patient. That's man. commitment. Good job, Freddie. Like, like that's commitment. Oh, Moose yeah. doesn't bark. He doesn't make any noise. He's pretty good to wait. But at some point, like if it's past a certain time, you can hear him just pacing behind outside all the bedrooms. Particularly in the holiday, you know, where everyone's sleeping in more, the kids, and he paces back and forth, and then you hear him, and he's heavy, like he's eighty-five pounds, and it, so it makes you can feel the motion, and he lays down with a, a like the world's most dramatic, like, <sighs> fine, Ben, <laughs> I'll just fine, fine, but I'm here, and I know you can hear me. Oh, the sigh, the dramatic sigh. <laughs> and uh, we also had, uh, I think, Loren, you flagged one from listener Scott. Was oh, it? well, I was joking around in the last segment about the fact that Moose eats anything that's wood-related, like all the ping-pong paddles have been torn apart. And uh, Scott texted <laughs> to say, uh, uh, regarding Moose eating wood products, maybe he needs more fiber or maybe his bark 
is too low. <laughs> Get it? Good Bark job. Of the wood. Good uh, job, Scott. So keep those animal mischief stories coming for a chance to win the tickets for the Winnipeg Renovation Show. We're going to pick a winner at 9.15. But right now, we've got an online contest at cjob.com. It's called Ramuary. For the whole month of January, you can go to cjob.com to the contest page. We're going to pick a winner every week for tickets for the Ram Motorsports Spectacular, which runs Canada Life Centre February 3rd and 4th. We've got tickets for February 3rd. And today's winner is Robert Barnett. So, Robert, congratulations. You are the first, the inaugural winner of Ramuary. Head to cjob.com for your chance to be the next winner. Mackling McGarry McNabb, also a reminder that listener Wayne pointed out it is raining south of Brandon and the highway is icy, so watch out for that in Westman. Normally at this time on Fridays, we put on our couch potatoes hats, tell you what's new at the movies or maybe some interesting new shows to watch. Only one new movie this week. It's that scary pool one called Night Swim. It looks scary, it looks fun, but it's getting bad reviews, so meh to that couch potatoes podcast is available at cjob.com and you can listen to the show of course with me and jeff braun saturdays and sundays at noon on 680 cjob john shannon standing by with the winnipeg jets report for friday at 755 but right now we want to revisit something that we talked about last week cool headline from the globe and mail article published december 28th which declares what everyone gets wrong about winnipeg except winnipeggers and goes on to say Manitoba's capital is an artsy, chill place that is tired of your condescending winter peg jokes. Canadians should get to know it better, so I set out to do that. The author, the I in that last sentence is Shannon Proudfoot. Proudfoot is a feature writer with the Globe and Mail's Ottawa Bureau. Shannon joins us now. Good morning, Shannon. Uh, welcome to Winnipeg and welcome to 680 CJOB. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm jealous. You guys have snow. We don't yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the Rideau Canal I didn't open last year, right? And so mm-hmm. is there a danger of that happening again this year? I was just reading this morning. They, they, they're feeling more hopeful because January and February is supposed to be more properly cold. So hopefully, cause, yeah, it was pretty grim when it didn't open last year. It's sort of a central part of downtown in winter here. Well, and of course, skating on the Assiniboine River is something that's become an annual tradition, a rite of passage and the Red River here as well. So I'm curious, what made you decide to come to Winnipeg? As I understand it, you'd never been here before, before writing this article. What made you decide to come here and take a look at what's going on? Yeah, well, in a lot of ways, the kind of germ of the idea of the story was, was sort of classic feature writing, which is, I think a good story always kind of takes what everyone knows to be true, knows in quotes, and sort of looks deeper. And I mean, Winnipeggers would be very familiar with the sort of doom and gloom stories that often get written about the city, you know, sort of fixating on crime or poverty or some idea of downtown blight. And uh, when I was talking to my editors about it, we thought, well, there's a new premier, a new provincial government. There's some energy associated with that. There's a newish mayor. Um, Let's go see. There's some sense of development downtown. So I I decided to sort of take a different approach and kind of let Winnipegers show me their city. Whenever I interview people, my favorite question to ask someone is always exactly what's in the headline. What do people get wrong about you or what do they get wrong about your your spot in the world? Um, and I always sort of say, even if someone BSs you in that answer, you still find something interesting. But usually people give you a really honest answer. So um, I called up and sort of made contact with about a dozen people that I, I figured would sort of know different aspects of Winnipeg life. And I asked them to take me to their favorite place in the city or the place that seemed the most Winnipeg to them. 
And then we talked about exactly that idea. Why do you think often uh, the rest of Canada focuses on a particular version of Winnipeg? How does that differ from what you see? And tell me what you love about the place. So your tour included, you know, you spoke with the Premier, of course, Wab Canoe, Mayor Scott Gillingham, but you also talked to architects. You went to the restaurant feast. You were at restaurants in the exchange. You explored different points of the downtown. As you mentioned, a dozen different people. And in your article, you wrote, quote, if Canada were a high school, Winnipeg would be the overlooked artsy chill kid who would have been the most fun person by far to be friends with. If only you were smart enough to figure it out before graduation. <laughs> Curious in your tour, Shannon. Great line, by the way. Excellent. Uh, it made both Bratton and Greg and I laugh, but also just sort of nod in that appreciation. At what point oh, in the? Good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> well, what, what what point in the tour did you get to that, or is it is it the sum of all the events? Just walk us through that that's thought. A, that's a really good question. Um, to be honest. I was, I think I was in Winnipeg like 12 hours when I sort of started looking around and saying to myself, like, where is the city everyone slags? Because I'm not feeling it. Like, um, you know, I was there at the end of November. The weather was not lovely. Granted, I was doing sort of a highlights tour. People were taking me to their favorite places. But I also spent a little bit of time myself just kind of walking around, getting from here to there. Um, And immediately, like, I've traveled pretty well. You can feel the energy of a city. You can feel its personality. And immediately I could see this kind of aged beauty of downtown, those kind of buildings that went up in the rail heyday. Of course, I'm not an idiot. I can see the same way as Ottawa's downtown right now is struggling, that there are some problems there. But very quickly, like sort of within the first 12 or 18 hours, I was kind of like, wow, this is a really neat city. And then it just built. And because I had sort of tried to pick people who would be able to illuminate different facets of Winnipeg character. By the time I came home at the end of a super jam-packed four days, and there were there were probably half a dozen other people I talked to who I couldn't fit into the story and felt terrible about, that was the feel I got. Um, and I, I, I've heard lots of response from Winnipeggers, which has been really awesome. Um, you always like, as a feature writer, people tell you they, they you got something right. And I just got a very clear vibe of the city. Um, I think I sum it up at different points. It seemed very creative, like punching way above its weight in terms of things like restaurants and art and music. I also got a really lovely, I hope I can say this on the air on your radio station, like smart-ass sense of humor to the place. Um, it was a really great kind of sarcasm. Say it louder, Shannon, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> okay, good. All right. So the, I loved Winnipeg's smart-assery. Um, it just, I don't, cities have personalities just like people. And if you look hard enough and you listen and you talk to people and you're kind of open to it, they show themselves to you. And that was the Winnipeg I felt like I met. Our guest is Shannon Proudfoot with the Globe and Mail's Ottawa Bureau. Published an article last week in the Globe, What Everyone Gets Wrong About Winnipeg Except Winnipeggers. And you, you referenced this here, but you, the, the down, you know downtown has some issues. And you didn't shy away from the fact that Winnipeg has its issues, some of which are, quite frankly, unparalleled in comparison to other cities in Canada. Sure, yeah. There, there, there are realities there. Like those doom and gloom stories... It's not that they're wrong. It's that it's an exclusive focus on one set of things. So, you know, there, there, there is a lot of poverty. There is a lot of urban challenges. There is a certain level of um, violence or, or a murder rate or in whatever terms you want to put that. I also, you know, we can look at rankings and, and certainly um, Winnipeggers would know that Winnipeg often falls pretty high on those lists. But those problems don't belong exclusively to Winnipeg. And and when I started thinking sort of more philosophically about it, this doesn't appear in the story, but I thought if we keep pointing at one city in Canada as like a problem child, 
and saying those problems belong to Winnipeg and like sort of shaking our, our fingers and looking disappointed. I think it sort of serves the function of pretending that those problems are only Winnipeg's. Like I, I, I bet there's no one living in a Canadian city of any size right now, if they're honest with themselves, who hasn't seen a massive change since the pandemic. We see it here in Ottawa, the Byward Market, you know, a couple hundred meters from Parliament Hill and sort of the tourist centre. It's not a very happy place right now. It's suffering. Maybe the scale is slightly different than the concentration in Winnipeg, but I guess I wanted to make two points in the story that, you know, the more subtle one or the the less important one is that other cities have the same problems as Winnipeg in greater or smaller concentrations, but also... I, I write at one point, none of us is who, only who we are on our hardest day. Winnipeg is not the sum of its worst or hardest parts. It has so much else going for it. And that was the thought I kept coming away from when I talked to people who love the city so much and who poured so much into it. It's like, yeah, we're not going to pretend Winnipeg doesn't have its challenges, but it has a lot on the other end of the scale that I saw and was like really quite smitten by, to be perfectly honest. Shannon, 60 seconds on this, if you don't mind. Uh, Just a preamble here. Colin Coward, one of my favorite sports broadcasters, has a conversation about, you know, whether or not cities are worthy of hosting a Super Bowl. And, you know, Minneapolis, Indianapolis, some of these smaller cities in the NFL come up. And he'll ask a question, what's the best restaurant in that city? And he says, if everybody has the same answer, you're not cosmopolitan enough. (laughs) to host the Super Bowl. I suspect that people's favorite restaurants they took you to were all quite different. And I'm curious about their favorite places. Not everyone said, let's go to the Forks, I'm guessing. No, in fact, nobody took me to the Forks. That was the funny part about letting other people design my trip. I had to run to the Forks myself with like two hours on my last afternoon just to get gifts for my kids. But no, people picked much more idiosyncratic places. Some of them, you know, I went to Deer and Almond and I went to Feast, which are two restaurants that I suspect come up in those conversations a lot. But um, someone who didn't appear in the story was Senator Pat Bovey, who took me to the Bueller Gallery at St. Boniface Hospital, which was uh, a small gallery within the hospital that she had helped found. And that was sort of her happy place and a project she wanted to point to by way of showing how Winnipeg supports the art. So there were, I would say, of the dozen or 13 people I talked to, they all had very disparate ways of showing me their Winnipeg. So if, if you're likening it to the same restaurant, nobody picked the same restaurant. I saw lots of different wonderful places. Well, Shannon, we appreciate the time that you took to visit our city and the time that you took to write about our city. Great piece. And thanks so much for joining us. Have a good weekend. Thanks for having me. You too. Shannon Proudfoot joining us live. She is a feature writer in the Globe and Mail's Ottawa Bureau. And once again, the article which was published on December 28th, What Everyone Gets Wrong About Winnipeg Except Winnipeggers. It's a great piece. You got to read it. And um, that's cool that she got to see the Bueller Gallery. You know, she's right. Everyone's got a different place. And I, I, as far as like, what's your favorite restaurant? You ask 12 people, you're probably going to get 12 different answers. I concur. Once again, I'm on Feast's website looking at their menu. (laughs) Hungry. So that's great. (laughs) Thanks, Shannon. Buy some poutine. Hello. Looking good. Smackling McGarry and McNabb, in 90 seconds, we have the John Shannon Friday Jets report. Just wanted to share this story from Animal Mischief from Sarah in East Selkirk because she's provided a prolific list of things here that would kill us all if we ate them. But Sarah says, our garbage guts dog 
Stark, <laughs> he's a husky, has eaten so many things where I've had to call the vet entirely too many times asking if my dog is going to die.、Oh、Here is a short list of some of the things he has eaten a dead bird, whole, one gulp, <laughs> an entire batch of chocolate haystacks that were cooling on the counter. Chocolate's really bad for dogs, right?、Mm-hmm. It can be, yeah. A value pack of chicken breasts that were thawing in the sink. Oh, oh of course. A full、yes. bottle of Rolaids. Well, that's because of the chicken and the <laughs> chocolate straw. <laughs> yep. And more socks than any creature should consume. <laughs> oh, no. That's dangerous, too, because it can block the, their intestines, right? Yeah. Yeesh. Uh, Stark is lucky to be alive by the sounds、oh, of things. That, I, I wonder what the vet says. I don't know, man. He lived off chicken breasts and roll aids. He's probably fine. <laughs> the vet probably says, Here comes my next vacation. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like、uh, Stark and Moose need to have a contest to see who has the more garbage guts. Maybe they're a match made in heaven. You know, they could go on like doggy dates where they just roam around. Testing each other's strengths, like in that show. Feats of you know? strength. Yeah. Who can eat more ping、food. pong paddles? That was food. Yeah. <laughs> I challenge you, Stark. So tell us your animal mischief story for a chance to win tickets for the Winnipeg Renovation Show. A winner shall be selected at 9 15. It is Mackling, McGarry, And McNabb. Coming up after global news at 8 30, Greg, we're speaking with a Manitoban who has recently picked up at quite the interesting job. That's right. In fact,、uh, our guest at 8 35 or thereabouts was the play by play voice of the very first ever goal in the Professional Women's Hockey League last Saturday in Toronto. That's coming up at 8 35. But right now, we want to. Talked about how it was just over one month ago that a new crisis line launched in Canada. The number is 988. And on November 30th, it started offering 24 7 services as a suicide helpline. So if you're in need, you can call it or text it, and someone will be there to help. Or if you're worried about someone else in your life that you think needs support or resources, you can also use that number, 988, Loren. So, we know cries for help are on the rise. In our last hour, we shared with you numbers from the Winnipeg Police Service on just how often they're being called in to simply check on someone's well being in this city. It's a call they get on average now 21,000 times per year, and it's more than any other type of call. Topping that list used to be domestic related calls, which is you know, also concerning, but now they're getting these check well being calls more and more. Suzanne Robertson is Clinic's Director of Counseling and Community Health and joins us now. Good morning, Suzanne. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. And, and thank you for taking the time because when that 988 number was launched, it was widely applauded by agencies like yours and others right across the country as a must have for Canada. And so I'm curious now that we're you know, about five weeks in, what are we seeing locally here in Manitoba in terms of, of calls since that launch? Yeah, well, I think,、uh, as you said, we are very、um, happy to hear there's additional resources available to folks to access.、Um, and not only individuals who are experiencing、uh, mental health and suicide related crisis,、um, but also friends and family and community who are experiencing the same.、Um, the more resources and access、uh, to resources that can be provided,、um, the better. So、um, we're happy to. Here and that that's been recognized and launched.、Um, Clinic、uh, Community Health, we're the only、uh, service provider of the 988 line here in Manitoba.、Um, and so far,、um, we've had 
no dramatic increase in the calls that we receive related to um, mental health distress as it's related to suicide. I just want to clarify that the 988 line is um, specifically related to suicidal uh, thinking, um, ideation, or behaviors, and it's not so much a crisis line. We still do have crisis lines available 24-7 for individuals or family and community who need it. Um, but our uh, our calls uh, through the 988 line are coming in. They're flowing in as a, a call centre and uh, with call takers. We are still uh, ramping up the number of staff and community members who are volunteering with us uh, to receive those calls to support individuals calling the line. Um, one of the uh, great aspects about this uh, service is that it can be delivered remote and so our plan is to recruit, train um, and support clinically uh, call takers uh, throughout Manitoba and not just centralized here in Winnipeg to be able to provide services that are aware and reflective of the needs of Manitobans uh, throughout the province and, and some of the, the barriers and challenges that various communities in remote areas face um, in meeting their uh, mental health needs um, in their communities. So um, we uh, currently, the line, as you said, has been launched um, we, right at the end of November, um, and we are uh, awaiting our statistical data from uh, 988 and the Canadian Mental Health Association. So we hope to have that through uh, mid-January to see what our call volume has been. Like I mentioned, we're not um, at full capacity here in Manitoba, but our Manitoba um, lines are also reverted out. So there's overflow sites nationally that would absorb some of our Manitoba calls should we not have a call taker uh, available and on shift. Suzanne, mm -hmm. so as we look at, at uh, Winnipeg Police Service pointing out this rise in, in calls for, for uh, well-being checks, what are your immediate thoughts and reactions? Because if there aren't enough resources to, to handle those things in a suitable fashion, it causes uh, some issues in my mind. What are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, that's a really valid and absolutely fair question. Um, I think, you know, without sitting with the police dispatch data in front of me, obviously, the primarily the calls that are going for law enforcement to respond um, for well-being and safety checks are likely from friends, family, community members, um, and third party, like ourselves at clinic, um, calling in acute times of need for individuals experiencing crisis in community. I think for friends, family and community members, there may be um, and likely is a lack of awareness of <clears throat> the existing resources that are available to them. That, like, for example, they can call 988, they can call clinic crisis lines, suicide lines or any of our lines um, to receive support, guidance, resources, assurance, validation for what they're experiencing for friends or family or loved ones, and connection with alternate methods of intervention and support. Um, but the reality, like you said, with a lack of resources, there really is no alternative community-based resource in place currently in Manitoba to respond to those calls for well-being and safety. Um, there is a project that was piloted out of the CRC, so the Crisis Response Centre with the WRHA, the ARC program in which a uh, mental health clinician was paired with a police officer um, and, and showed really great success um, in, <clears throat> in responding to those individuals in community where mental health um, distress was 
in requirement of a in-person assessment and, and a response in community for safety and wellness. Um, and it's my understanding that it's um, continued to receive funding, but there's just not enough of that resource to meet the need and demand of community. Um, community is telling us over and over, um, and it's backed by research that this work needs to be done in community. It needs to be led by community and um, driven by community and community responding to the needs of um, each other um, rather than law enforcement or rather than um, other systems in which community is saying they've been harmful in the past and that there's alternate ways to respond to Suzanne Robertson, we'll have to leave it there. We are out of time, but thank you very much for joining us. Suzanne Robertson is Clinic's Director of Counseling and Community Health, joining us live on 680 CJOB on this important topic. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, more rain reports. Paul from Silver Heights is traveling on Highway 15 eastbound, heading to Enola to a bluegrass, bluegrass jam session. There is a light drizzle, some slippery sections. Caution is required. May become greasy as the traffic builds. Let's connect now with Global News Morning reporter Clay Young, who is in the Automobile City, to learn about the building boom taking place in that city. Hi, Clay. Yeah. Hi. I, it's my turn. Yes, you know we uh, we love taking uh, taking the show on the road, and uh, you know we've been to Brandon and Morden and Gimli. So today we're doing uh, Steinbach, and I'm with the mayor of Steinbach, Earl Funk. Good to see you again. Good, good to see you, Cal. Oh, or Clay, always great to see you. Sorry. Um, let's talk about uh, economic indicators in 2023. They're very impressive for, for Steinbach right off the bat. Yeah, just we just finished off our, our 2023 year, and uh, we're sitting at $204.7 million in the value of permits. That's a record year. The best year we've had before that uh, was, I believe, uh, 20, 2013, 2014. We had $124 million. So the average year we do is about $80 million. So... We've actually beat our best year by actually a regular year. What do you attribute to uh, that to, Mr. Mayor? Well, there's a, there's a couple of things. We've we've got some good investment from the province, uh, uh, a hospital expansion. Uh, we've got a new school. We're also building our our event center, which is which was a, a sizable piece of that. But we've had a lot of commercial buildings been built, starts, renovations, additions to building uh, businesses, growth. It's it's really been an exciting time, uh, year for for myself as mayor of this of this community. Uh, during summer, it felt like every other week, every third week, we were doing a ribbon cutting. So it was just businesses were opening up, and and uh, many of them were in houses at one time, like the the home based business type of deal, and now they they went in invested in bricks and mortar and actually have a, have a spot and we did a ribbon cutting cutting for them and it's just it was an exciting year to be in Steinbach well when uh, the staff uh knew that I was coming out here today uh like Mr. Macklin and and Mr. Poitras they said make sure you ask the mayor and you just alluded to it the event center and when we walked into city hall this morning you had all these uh, displays what this thing is going to be looking like. And it's going to open later this year, and it's currently undergoing construction. So paint a picture for us. What is this thing, and what's it going to look like? 
Well, okay, I'll paint a picture. First, I'll give you some background. So the city's investing $30 million. There's a private investment group of business people that is investing $25 million. And then the provinces and the, and the feds together are investing $18.5 million. The total around the $69 million mark is going to have a 2,400-seat uh, um, spectator arena. There'll be an atrium where we can have, um, you know, receptions and and just have events for our community. Because in Manitoba, we've got winter five to six months a year, and now we have an indoor place where we can meet. There will be a gym that will that will have multiple courts, but we will also in that gym will be a flex area where we'll be able to have a 500 seat banquet facility because we're attaching a state of the art kitchen to that. And then there will, that will also be a 700-seat performing arts center. Plus, we're planning to have a play structure in there for families. Just We want, from every age, from, from zero to 90, enjoy. There's going to be a walking track. There'll be a workout center. Like it's, and you're going you're to have conventions here. You're going to have concerts here. The whole nine yards. Yeah, that's what we're looking forward to. We're trying to, we want to really bring people into our city to to have events here, business concert, uh, business conventions or farm conventions, whatever. But we, we really want to see uh, concerts happen. We wanted that to be a beehive to be always busy. And, of course, it's a home for our pistons. Yeah. And while we were here, uh, back to you guys in the, in the uh, station, uh, we took a tour of the biggest cheese board factory in the world i had no idea it's in steinbach they have markets all over the world like in, in europe and etc i mean and i said like like in the world yeah in the world and it's just grown by leaps and bounds well that that's an example of when you when you create a quality product everybody wants it and that that is a business that started in a garage it was a home-based business and over five years, they grew to the point where they need 12,000 square feet now. It's just incredible to see that kind of growth. And when you look at, at how small of a, a piece of the business is in Canada, the rest, it's all new money that's coming to our community. And they're the business you want to see do well. Because eventually, if you, you want to do local business, but eventually that dollar breaks up so many times that there's nothing left. Right, yeah. but when you when you introduce new money like that, these are the businesses that you really want to seek after as a community to bring them in because it helps our local business. Oh yeah, the spinoffs when you think about it. Uh, so that's it uh, here from Steinbach, guys. Unless there's something else you'd like to to inquire about. I think that's good, Clay. You can wrap up your week and uh, drive safely. We've got multiple reports of of rain and mist and and other sorts of shenanigans weather-wise on the highway. We appreciate you, Clay, man. Well, you know, just after I heard you say that, I think I just told the mayor, you know, I think I'm going to stay here for the weekend. <laughs> Lots to pick, do. You might as well. Pick me up one of those boards on the way home. Those Lynn and Leanna boards are super cool i love you them. got a lot of good hotels here right we do we got <laughs> hotels plus i'll take you to pistons game you can have the mayor's i'm gonna go to a pistons game <laughs> checking into a hotel going to see the big windmill i i i don't think i'll come but i'll see you on monday
Clay Young, Global News Morning, joining us live on 680 CJOB and listener Gary in the Steinbach area. Also reminding us, of course, there's a lot of great golf in the Steinbach vicinity. He always uh, champions for Steinbach Fly-In. Quarry Oaks, also a great course. Both of them were on the CJOB Winnipeg Discount Golf Card last year. Hopefully we'll do that again. Jerusalem's also nearby. Tons of great golf in the Steinbach region. It's a cool place. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, last chance to get in on the tickets for the Winnipeg Renovation Show. We're asking you about animal mischief, like Greg's cat knocking over a box of cereal and dumping it all over the floor this morning. Or like the dog in Pennsylvania that ate $4,000 cash. The owners were able to recover said cash. You can read about the gross details at uh, globalnews.ca. Kevin the Garbage Man saying that darn cat, one of our cats, Mulder, like Agent Mulder, has decided that he likes to walk on the ductwork at night. You're asleep, and then you hear the ductwork banging. It's like living with John McClane from Die Hard. <laughs> so Scully, the other cat? I, yeah, we'll have to ask, Kevin. I did, did just put. I'm like, why do I know that name, Mulder? And as soon as I said it, that's what it is. So we'll pick a winner in our next segment. But right now, Greg Mackling... That uh, dog story actually made our next guest almost spit her coffee out, I understand, this morning. Who is in studio with us? Well, then I guess it's uh, sort of coincidental that I should describe her as a full serving of morning joy. The face, the voice, the laughter. Global News Morning anchor scene. Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. till 9 a.m. on CKND Television Channel 9, Cable 12, Gabrielle Marchand. Good morning, Gabby. Good morning. Yeah, we also run the dog story, the video. And guys, I just, I have to say, poop money. That's what it is. It's poop money. Like, I understand wanting to recover your $4,000, but the means to get it are very disturbing. (laughs) That's a poop dog and it's poop money. I'll just put it out there. And that's what I'm saying. (laughs) You'd have to go to a real money laundering service after that. Hey! Hey! That was pretty good. There you go, Loren. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So one of the things we talked about this week is the things that you do, even though you know you shouldn't, like Greg hurting his ear with a Q-tip went in just a little too far. Um, I like to, when I get hangnails, I tend to pick, try to pick them off instead of cut them off. And that, then I'm usually left with an ouchie. Another thing I do all the time is I stay up too late. How, how many times I complain about that? I knew I should have gone to bed at eight, but I stayed up until 10 and now I'm cranky. I have a story about that today, actually. I stayed up way too late last night, and I, I've never slept in my entire time on a morning show. But? I slept in today. <gasps> I woke up, and I guess I turned off the alarm, and then I turned off the three subsequent alarms, and I woke up 45 minutes after I was supposed to. I don't know how I woke up at 3.45 in the morning. It's amazing I made it to work. Like, it should have been Clay Young filling in for me because I was sleeping still. But, yeah, I was very jarring. I don't ever want to do that again. I know you guys <laughs> have had that experience. For the folks at home, I'm sure you've been late for work. But there's something about 3.45 in the morning where you're like, oh, that I jumped up. I'm like trying to wash my face and just out the door with a toothbrush. It was awful. I don't like <laughs> it's it. Like a, it's like a, it feels like a shot has gone off with that alarm sometimes. It yeah. goes off. And especially if, you're, if you've missed the first one or you set it poorly, you're just, it's a full panic for four minutes for sure. It's no good. It's no good. I'm trying to think of other things I do. Honestly, I didn't really think about this one. Well, that's to, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm just saying, normally I go, I missed your reply where you identified the ones. And I see that you have, I had actually had a recent experience with animal mischief. So what's up? 
Dogs, because dogs eat a lot of garbage. That's pretty common, right? Yes, I think. it's not uncommon. Loren, do you have a dog? Does it eat garbage? No, he's perfect. <laughs> he's perfect. He's a perfect boy. He yeah. really doesn't eat garbage at all, ever? Come on, he eats everything. <laughs> <laughs> not everything. He's discerning, like he won't eat cucumbers. But he'll eat wood or plastic or the sump pump hose. <laughs> yeah. Gabby, sump pump hose. Gabby oh, no. clearly doesn't subscribe to the moose <laughs> webcam. The sump pump. I actually had friends in Oak Bank. Their dog ate a rock. I'm still not over that. But uh, my boyfriend's dog sometimes will eat garbage. Just if she's upset. It's like we've left her for too long. So she punishes us by opening up the garbage. Happened on New Year's Eve. Like it just happened. And we said we were going to take the garbage out, didn't. She ate McDonald's wrappers, which I think was a real power move. She was like, nom, nom, nom. But then she also ate some taco dip, some old taco dip in there. So it's like, is it going to be an evening of explosive diarrhea? That's the problem with dogs eating garbage is because like you don't know what the fallout's going to be. It could be okay or it could be a disaster. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair for sure. Hey, um, speaking of dogs... Uh, we were talking about things that you didn't know were things. Have you ever heard of skijoring? No, but you know what? Actually, the word sounds familiar. Brett, what is skijoring? Greg? It's uh, basically cross-country skiing with a belt around your waist attached to a harness, and that harness is attached to your dog who might help pull you around at uh, speeds upwards of 30 kilometers per hour, according to one of our listeners. That's neat. I've done it. I did a story on the skijoring, the skijorers, skijorai, um, and I <laughs> did, like, got to jump on and just tested it. It's super fun. Really? Yeah. Where oh. were you the day that we talked about this? I was sick. <laughs> but they did it in this little park near Polo Park, and then there's actually places, I can't remember which country, where they will put on cross-country skis and go behind a horse. Correct. Yes. That's where it <laughs> originates. That's wild. That's the balance it would take, your core strength. I think there's like kind of a redneck thing that happens in North Battleford that involves a vehicle and is very dangerous and being attached to it. But I, I didn't <laughs> know with a dog. That seems kind of exciting. It's almost like Balto, but the stakes are what higher. Did you say? Like Balto, like on a sled, like... um. Sled, sled dogs. It's okay. almost like sled dogs, but it's way higher risk because you're just... In the free and clear, and anything could happen. Cross-country skiing is hard enough on your own, let alone And with- you're attached. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, you need to have one of those ripcord-type things where it pops off if you get going too fast, but you don't. You're just attached to this dog, I think. You could go anywhere. Would you guys try this? I would love to try it. Yes, I would. Whether it's with, because you can do it with a dog or with, like, if you, there's, there's a skijoring.ca website or something like that, and it's all people getting pulled by horses. Would you would you be pulled by a horse? Would you go for that? Yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that, you know part of the problem is I haven't I've re- only skied a couple of times in my life, so I would probably fall down, go boom, many many times. But why not? I mean, anything with animals is fun. Plus, I guess it's you're falling into the snow, so hopefully you're not like breaking a hip or something. <laughs> well, sort of like water skiing, the one horsepower engine. <laughs> there there you go. <laughs> that was better than money laundering. No, so I liked no, money laundering. I liked it too. I think it was really good. Gabrielle Marchand is the host, the anchor of Global News Morning, weekdays 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. on Global Winnipeg. Gabby, always a pleasure. Have a good weekend. Happy Friday.
It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This morning we're discussing animal mischief, and we're asking you to give us examples, whether it's your animals or someone else's or just some random animal you encountered on the street. Stevie, one of our runners up here with a cautionary tale, I once had two huskies, came back from shopping, and they both ate <clears throat> an ounce of hash, and then start, <laughs> and then they started eating colored ski wax. So an they ounce were what? <laughs> colored ski wax. So they were covered in blue, red, and pink wax. Well, I guess they were high on hash. <laughs> oh man, that is stash the hash better, Steve. <laughs> uh, let's jump here to Chris, who and I. I I can't believe we've never asked you to do this, but you can also, if you don't want to type out your text and you want to send us a voice memo, do that like Chris. My new cat, at just over a year old, decided to open my jewelry box and took out my bomber earrings that were a gift and decided to play hockey with them. So we ransacked the entire bedroom to try to find them. And they were ended up in the back of the um, jewelry box. He, it turns out he was just playing with the box. <laughs> That's pretty good. Chris says, I was on the verge of giving him away when they were found, when they mm-hmm. found the earrings. We lifted every piece of furniture in the room to find that they just fell out of the box and stayed in the jewelry box. I want to see a picture of these earrings, by the way. That's yeah. the most compelling part of the story for me. Blue Bomber earrings, hello. Yeah. <laughs> but Greg Sandy is our winner today. I have two three-year-old sibling kitties. I, if I'm not awake and feeding them breakfast, the boy Bennett starts kicking stuff off my nightstand, standing on my neck, nipping my <laughs> arms and my nose and my chin. And if that doesn't work, he starts kicking the medals I have hanging on my wall. Some mornings... He's lucky to be alive. His sister, however, she gets involved. She gives me tiny kisses and purrs. I much prefer her as my alarm clock. Bennett likes breakfast at 6. We fight for a half an hour each morning. <laughs> just routine. Love Cats love the routine. And I love the picture that this paints, partly because it just gives me some fun memories of my cats in the morning and the fights I would have with them waking up. Those little paws, and they just... They watch it, and they see the edge, and then they go, boop. They actually know when they've knocked it down. Oh, cats. Off the furniture, and and they live for that sound. Yeah. They are they are monsters, really. They are, they are devious monsters, and yet I love them so much. But there are some hilarious videos of cats causing spectacular and instantaneous damage, uh, like of climbing on TVs that are mounted on the wall and, yeah. and pulling them down. I like the ones where cats try to squeeze themselves into spaces, like little glass jars and stuff, and then they get themselves in and they're just staring at you with those big wide eyes. They love those confined spaces. Yes. Like uh, it, it was, it must be a womb theory. I think so. Like Callie oh. consistently going yeah. into bags, yeah. into boxes. We have some of those uh, transparent shoe boxes that we will keep around and use for shoes. And she will like, she looks like a loaf of cat shaped loaf of bread when she <laughs> squeezes herself into that. Isn't she the one that goes into the dryer? Oh, yeah, she lives in the dryer too. Like, that's like, it's just, it's all the space. Yeah. yeah. Turn it on. It's warm. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sandy, because of you and your cats, you win the tickets for the Winnipeg Renovation Show. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. 
Hal Anderson, the host of Connecting Winnipeg, will join us in our next segment to tee up what is coming up on Connecting Winnipeg. But right now, we want to talk about how last November, we introduced you to Lachlan Roberts, young athlete from Winnipeg, competing in the National your Ninja Warrior Championships in Edmonton. I had met Lachlan and his family a couple of weeks before his trip to Edmonton, and one of the questions I had was, where do you practice this? Well, Loren, we want to tell our listeners where they can find indoor Ninja Warrior training and parkour. Our next guest began teaching group fitness back in 2009, then personal training in 2012, and believes that the fitness environment is really that lifelong home that many aspire to. And she's described as your keeping it real trainers. And we're joined by Lisa Burgess, co-owner and personal trainer at Serratus Movement Center. Good morning, Lisa. Hi. Uh, when we first talked to Lachlan, I have to say, I, I ended the interview thinking, who knew? But clearly, a lot of people are in the know. Tell those who don't about the type of training you provide and your facility. Yeah, our uh, our facility is unfortunately one of Winnipeg's best-kept secrets. <laughs> Not that that was our intention whatsoever. But uh, yeah, we do parkour and Ninja Warrior training uh, for actually ages three and up. But the majority of our uh, students sort of range in that six to... Uh, 13 range. Now the, I'm curious about the, like, especially when it comes to something like parkour. And I think hopefully most of us have seen some of the, you know, the extreme videos of people doing crazy stuff outside. And when they get it right, it's spectacular. It's mesmerizing. It defies everything I know about being a human being. But um, I would imagine for those who are wanting to learn that skill, injuries potentially abound. Absolutely. I, uh, I can't even tell you what our mat budget is uh, because we uh, obviously pride ourselves on teaching everybody how to do it safely. Uh, so, you know, if they do intend to go um, sort of in an urban setting and sort of nail those really sort of spectacular slash dangerous uh, jumps they they you know they've trained for it and they uh, they land it properly. So Lisa, talk about some of the other training that's required in order for you to even attempt something like ninja warrior competitions or parkour. I'm guessing there are lots of different parts of the body that need to be trained, maybe quite specifically, in order to be good at these things. Yes, absolutely. I mean, day one, uh, the first thing everybody learns how to do is how to fall properly. Um, just sort of, uh, yeah, how to fall without hurting yourself. Um, but yeah, from then on, we, we really encourage um, kids, especially those who are going to go the competition route, uh, to mix in sort of some strength and conditioning training to really help with sort of their their grip and their upper body strength um, and really, you know, really strong ankles, really strong feet, uh, that sort of thing. So just simply, simply training just your Ninja Warrior, just your parkour is not quite enough. You need to add a little bit of more specific strength and conditioning, obviously. You talk a lot about the kids going into competition, but I'm curious, you know, when it comes to adults, like what, what's the age range you see there? Uh, well, when we, we went to the competition in Edmonton that uh, Lachlan was at, and it was really cool to see um, the pro and the masters uh, groups and seeing adults competing at it. I mean, it's one thing to watch it on TV, but uh, to see it live and in front of you, it was very, very inspiring. 
Um, and I think because we've only been open for five, six years, we're now seeing a lot of our clientele sort of like aging into, um, well, a lot of them we end up hiring, <laughs> but, uh, but they do continue to train and uh, I think they're going to age and they're going to continue to make, to do those movements and uh, compete in that way. So are they teens or kids that aged, like as you reference, when you say age, they grew up with this or would, do you ever have any adults coming to try this out <clears throat> like for, um, as a first timer, i.e. 45 year old me? We would love to see more adults coming to try it, but um, you know, we do see them. But I think for a lot of us, uh, we have to get up and go to work the next day. So um, our, our sort of risk analysis of trying these sorts of things is, is pretty heavy. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the, like we have kids that started with us when we opened and, you know, now they're, they're entering their teen years. Um, and they're still still training, and it's so cool to see how far they've come, and they continue to to grow as athletes. So this is the time of year for a lot of folks where they either you know pledge to reinvest in themselves in terms of personal training, or they they decide that they are absolutely going to take that next step in terms of their their physical health. How large of an influx of Inquiries have you seen over the last couple of weeks, Lisa? Uh, considerable. I think a lot of, uh, because we're such a unique um, facility, it's, it's a lot of times parents of kids who do the parkour and the Ninja Warrior, and they know that we offer, we offer personal training, we offer adult group fitness. So um, sort of their kids can do the parkour ninja, and then they can do something that's a little bit uh, more tailored towards uh, their starting position. Is this an opportunity for parents and kids to maybe not necessarily do the Ninja Warrior training together, but to be in the same facility and to have that appointment every day to go to the same place together and and grow their their physicality? Hundred percent. That has uh, always been my my dream as sort of my I'm a parent and I'm a group fitness uh, instructor and trainer, and uh, I know how difficult it is for parents to find that time for themselves. So for them to be able to come to one facility, the kids go off with a parkour ninja coach and the parents come with me and do a workout of their own. Everybody leaves happy. And I think, uh, the, I think you're just leading a great example for your kids to, to show that like, this is, this is for everybody. And this is important, uh, at all ages. Our guest is Lisa Burgess, co-owner and personal trainer at Serratus Movement Center. And I'm just on the website, serratusmovement.com, and I see that you offer birthday parties. So what would a birthday party at Serratus Movement entail? It is, it is bananas fun. Uh, it's, it's a wild place on the weekends, but we have it quite down to a science. But uh, kids love it. We started at age five and all the way up. You have a coach with you the whole time teaching you uh, different skills. You've got a little bit of um, free time along along with that, and then we have party rooms where you can order pizza. Uh, you can get get us to uh, get cupcakes for you. That sort of thing. All in it's it's a two hour long uh, spectacle. So the website once again, Serratus. We will uh, spell that for you: S E R R A T U S Movement and where are you physically located, Lisa? For those that might be interested to pop by and say hello, if people are allowed yeah. to do so. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we are located uh, Unit One on uh, 55 Henlow Bay, uh, which is just off of Skirfield uh, between Waverly and Keniston. 
Right on. Lisa, thanks so much for this. And uh, we look forward to Thank keeping you. in touch with you uh, as as Manitoba grows in prominence in terms of uh, developing these Ninja Warrior athletes and, and more parkour. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, Lisa Burgess joining us live on 680 CJOB from Serratus Movement Center. But on both fronts, the Ninja Warrior stuff and the parkour, when they started doing those Ninja Warrior shows and seeing what people are capable of, on one hand, I felt like a lazy slug. But on the other hand, it was it's pretty inspiring to see how, how people can, like the will, if you just have the will, what you can train your body to do. And uh, and it's just fun to watch them climb up walls and stuff like they're Spider-Man or something. Crazy athletics. Oh, the athleticism, but the bravery, Loren, just to... That's just it. To, to, you know, it's one thing to learn how to do it, but the number of times you have to fail in yep. order to be proficient at anything physical... Uh, that's the part that I marvel at that, that, you know, I was commenting to Brett off the air. I had lots of buddies back in the West end in the day that were incredible on the BMX bikes and they could make them dance and they could do all these different things and skateboarders over the years that, that I've known that have, have just gone to that next level. Well, the amount of broken bones and sprains and scrapes and everything along the way, I mean, that, that that takes a different type of personality to be willing to go through all that to get good at something. Well, the reason why I asked the question about adults is that as kids, falling is like it's a fun thing to do. You know, like you jump off things and right. you roll and you do the somersaults and all the rest. Have you even tried to do a somersault in recent months or years? Like, give it a shot tonight. Like, I, like I'm embarrassed to say I did one not long ago when I was dizzy. <laughs> like, like it's, it's one rollover, and I was like, "Oh boy!" Are you doing yes. it now, Greg? Yeah, it now. Give it a shot. Oh my goodness! Okay, do I need to video record? Oh, yes, you video record, and I'll. <laughs> hey. Yeah, but that's oh, a pretty hard carpet like to try it on. Six seconds ago. <laughs> okay, are you even going to be able to bend over? Uh, I get there. <laughs> uh, give it a oh. shot, everybody oh, at home. Did, want... <laughs> did it? How are you feeling? Yeah. Yeah, I feel a little dizzy, Lorenzo. See, it's so embarrassing to say that. So as an adult, if you try these things, it's like when you you go too long without riding the bike or skiing or honestly even jumping or a cartwheel. Like, be, try cartwheel next. Like, you're, you'll like you'll feel like you're flying and someone will video you and you'll look like you've barely got your feet off the ground. Like, Ooh. yeah, intense, man. Good effort. Good solid Friday somersaulting. That's Everyone, perfect. get now, up and do it. Now I have to sleep all weekend. I summer salute you. <laughs> Instead of the seventh inning stretch, we'll do a seventh inning somersault. Wow, that hurt. I'm, I'm impressed that you I'm just sure. got up and did that. I'll send you the video in a second, Loren.